Bitcoin Roundtable. Random musings and interviews about Bitcoin. Welcome back, everybody, to Bitcoin Roundtable. This is uh, episode 26, and Vince here, and I am here with Darren and Libby. Hello. And this week, we have a special guest. <laughs> We'd like to welcome Josh Zemmel from Dowstack. Hi, Josh. Welcome to Bitcoin Roundtable. Hey, guys. Happy to be here. Thank you. Well, thank you for taking the time coming out and talking with us. We appreciate it. So, Josh, I'm going to throw it back at you, and I'd like you to start off and give us a little bit of an introduction as to what Dowstack is and Dowstack's platform. Yeah, uh, you bet. So Dowstack is a platform for decentralized governance. So basically what that means in simple terms is that it enables groups of people, especially large groups of people, to self-organize around shared goals or values easily and efficiently and make good decisions together without centralized leadership, without concentrated bosses or CEOs or what have you. At the end of the day, what we're doing is we're providing a way for large groups, uh, potentially very large collectives, to make good decisions together rapidly and, and, and effectively. Reading over the Dallas Stack white paper and such, I was attracted to this project in part because I guess uh, you could say the grand aspect of the intent. Essentially, it almost seems like it's such a, a wide open project where it doesn't target any specific organizations, just large ones. I guess I'm wondering how it can possibly be achieved, I guess. Do you have any specific types of companies in mind or is it just like a large top-down management style companies in which case potentially you could lose the whole management tier and just run it as a collective business right where each of the workers really share in the management decisions am i on the right track here uh, roughly speaking you are on the right track so there's a few different primary use cases that come to mind when we think about the types of decision making that decentralized collectives need to make one is in in terms of something like collaboration to produce an outcome or the domain of what we might call work. And this is roughly speaking a decentralized company as it were, where the goal is to develop or deliver products and services. Uh, decisions may need to be made around how to value individual contributions, how to budget for projects or other purchases, which projects should be funded, how much should so-and-so be paid for that article or so-and-so for this software upgrade. How are we gonna evaluate work? How are we going to verify work? Should we invest in this or that legal firm or office space? To answer your question specifically, what sorts of organizations or industries might benefit from that sort of collectivized approach? Many, really. I mean, really, ultimately, we can imagine, you know, just about any type of organization. Uh, but in the near term, it's going to be digital organizations, organizations whose products and services are produced digitally. So it's a lot easier, for example, to imagine a you know decentralized version of a social network like a Facebook than it is to imagine a, a decentralized version of a shoe manufacturer. Or, right. or car maker, or even a lawn and sprinkler service, although if it's a purely service business, it actually does become, once again, fairly easy to imagine sort of a decentralized network of professionals, you know, collaborating. So, again, at some point, there's going to be enough kind of momentum within the blockchain and DAO space that, that even the most brick-and-mortar applications will see decentralized alternatives 
to existing corporate structures. But in the near future, I would say it's going to be focused more on the digital sphere. By the way, collaboration to produce an outcome, what I'm calling work or decentralized companies, that's only one actually of, of the sort of major classes of possible applications for DAOSAP. Another one is strictly around asset management, so funds. So if you can imagine, this is a very easy use case, if you can imagine that a group of people want to collectively invest in things together, right? right? And so we can envision decentralized alternatives to you know, venture funds or insurance networks or charitable funds or pension funds, real estate investment collectives with all sorts of either highly specialized or less specialized foci. So you could have a whole class of applications in terms of asset management. And then a- another interesting use case is that of curation, which is a really hot topic these days in the blockchain space especially. Curation refers to when you are using the collective subjective intelligence to rank the real world value of different objects like websites or restaurants or hotels or movies or articles or what have you. So it's not too far off where we're going to see decentralized versions of your Yelps, your Googles, your TripAdvisors, even your Facebook news feeds, which is, if you think about it, a kind of curation, you know, what what is it that you're going to see right. um, in a ranked format when you open your certain web page or certain social network. So that intelligence can all, right, right now, who's deciding what you see in your Facebook news feed? Who's actually deciding that? Facebook. Facebook, Facebook right? itself, yeah. right. Facebook is deciding that, and the algorithms that they're using to decide that are based on what makes the most sense for them. Right. It actually is not based on what makes the most sense for you, uh, except they do have to pay some degree of attention to what makes sense for you, otherwise you wouldn't still be a user. Yeah. But they're basically balancing these competing incentives where <laughs> they need to do a reasonably good job toward you, the user, while really, really taking care mostly of their own profits and bottom line, which might cause them to show different things than you would actually like. We're all familiar with this phenomenon, this tension, I think is a very common one. So ultimately, DAOSTAC envisions a world in which you know, you might have thousands of people working together to solve major world problems with rewards distributed according to value contributed and the decisions being made through the wisdom of the crowd. You might have a Facebook or Amazon, but owned by the users. You might have a hedge fund with no one skimming off the top. Uh, you right. might even have equivalents of BP or ExxonMobil eventually driven <clears throat> by the people and for the people and for the planet. Right. So what I'm getting from it is is that use Facebook as an example, they control what goes on their site, they control what I read, they control basically what everybody looks at. Under the Dow stack decentralization platform, it will be a collaboration of everybody and all of their ideas coming together with no one idea being the main one. Right, so let's make an important distinction here where you want to distinguish between equality and proportionality. So we're not trying to build uh, an engine, and this is not an engine, where all voices are treated equally. Everybody gets a voice and a say, and an equal say. I mean, maybe everybody gets a say, but not 
not necessarily an equal say. Actually, okay. We want reward being distributed in proportion to value contributed. We want influence uh, being distributed in proportion to whatever you might call it, reputation, credibility, subject matter expertise. So it is very much the case that some people will have more influence than others. In a voting scenario, in a decision-making scenario, you want the people who are most qualified to make the decisions to be making the decisions. Right. So right. Yes. How, how you do that, how you make sure that in any given decentralized governance apparatus, you have the, the most qualified people making the decisions is a, actually a very complex matter. And not only that, you have another problem which is that you need a way to manage the collective attention. Right. Right? Yeah. So you need a way not only to say who should be voting on what, but actually what even should be voted on. You need a solid mechanism for sure. essentially, I, sometimes I call it voting on what to vote on. Right. Uh, managing the collective attention. So you can imagine if you lack that, that your collective is going to become like noisy neighborhood association meeting. I would envision it as having lack of a authoritarian voting choices means you're voting number one on should we spend five million to purchase this building intermixed with another question like, well, who should empty the garbage tomorrow, right? And as such, I could also see an overwhelming amount of questions, perhaps 90% of them not really related to what you really care to vote on anyways. Exactly. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. You're hitting the nail on the head. I mean, you know, it's, it's very easy to steer a ship when you have one captain. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> very right? true, yeah. Or even if you have a small team of navigators or uh, in the corporate world board members or in the government executive branch or even a set of legislators. So this has been... By the way, really important historically, you know, hierarchy. Yeah. And this is, in my view, in large part why hierarchy has been so important is because it's a very handy way to take a large group of people and point them in the same direction. Right. But of course, one major problem with top-down hierarchies is that they contain these concentrated points of failure. Individuals who can be subject to bad influence, bad acting, or simply bad judgment. And on top of that, the interests of the powerful few are often misaligned with those of the you know less powerful many, so that the decision makers are often incentivized directly to act against the common good. You can imagine that a CEO of an oil company, Matan Field, Dow Stack architect and CEO, gave me this example recently. The CEO of an oil company is directly incentivized to mislead the public about <laughs> the dangers of fossil fuels and the value of alternative energy. Directly incentivized to do that. Sure. Yeah. sure. Right? So yeah. what kind of a system would you have those incentives aligned where essentially he or she is held accountable for the consequences of his or her actions and at the same time, if you actually try to give everybody a voice, if you actually say, okay, now the oil company is going to be run by everybody in the whole entire collective plus the whole entire supply chain and but tell you what let's even throw in all of the different customers who buy gas at the gas pump the more you try to push decision making out to the edges so that everybody's desires and interests can be represented yeah. the more of a noisy situation you create so you have a significant challenge it's a very attractive concept decentralization it's getting a lot of attention many of your listeners have probably 
heard about this sort of decentralization movement. They may have even heard about the DAO, the Decentralized Autonomous Organization, which is a bit of a blockchain-enabled, specialized version yeah. of a decentralized company. But the decentralization movement, for all of its excitement uh, and buzz, has really just not scaled. It really hasn't taken off. There's very, very few examples of true scalable decentralized governance structures or applications. And one major reason for that is because of what we've been talking about, because of the complexity of this challenge, because there just aren't, to this point, a lot of great scalable governance solutions in place. How do you take all of those human inputs and turn them into outputs of decision making? And there also is not the software to support the collation of those decisions, the management of human attention, those are the challenges that DAOStack seeks to solve using a variety of technologies, some of which are based on the blockchain. Right. You know, to be honest with you, I just have a hard time imagining the complexity of the programming to actually pull that off. You've been running since the spring, right? Yeah, I mean, we've recently launched our alpha version of our platform. That's correct. Yeah. Yeah. And we're actually using it in our own DAO, if you will, our own decentralized organization, which is collectively managing the funds that we raised in our token sale. At this point, it's just a small portion of those funds, but over time, it's going to become most of the funds. And so, yeah, we're actually utilizing our platform ourselves right now to create a decentralized organization and manage this fund. Okay. How long has your program team been working on, on this software platform? At this point, they've been working on this about a year and a half, although you could certainly set the date a lot earlier if you wanted. There were previous uh, organizations upon which, you know, that some of the same players were involved in, uh, upon which some of the ideas of DAOStack were built. You could say that particularly Matanfield and Primavera de Filippi, some of the leading scholars of decentralized governance, in my opinion, at least in the world, you could say that they've been working on this challenge for five years. I understand that it's a little bit hard to get your head around how it might actually work i think if we spent the time to break it down yeah yeah you know, yeah, yeah. It's, it's incredibly elegant but it's also not in a way sort of rocket science it's, right it's an explainable phenomenon right, right. yeah I mean, mm-hmm. I give you a quick headline to say that the system for decision-making is partly meritocratic. You could actually say that the decision-making engine is meritocratic, meaning that the people with the most reputation in a given organization or in a given part of the organization right. have the most influence to make decisions. And then each organization has the opportunity to design how reputation flows Yes. What are the criteria by which reputation moves about the organization? So, right. so you have a partly meritocratic system, yeah. and then you have a partly economic system. Part of the system functions as essentially a marketplace, and the marketplace component is related to attention. It's related to de- sure. helping to determine which ideas, which proposals actually get the collective attention of the voting body. I hear you. So that's a whole other podcast, you know, where we could talk about that. But that's in a nutshell, it's the combination of a meritocratic and economic system that has the system be both resilient to bad acting, non-corruptible on one hand, and scalable, efficient enough that it's not a noisy, messy, headachey breakdown and can actually scale and grow like so. Let me give a shot at an example for Vince here. Okay, so Vince, you have some history in sales. I do. So perhaps you work for ABC Company. Okay. You you may be one of the top 10% of the 1,000 global sales 
reps okay. of the company. Yeah. You have gone towards the Dow stack system. There was some questions asked of you and you being a fairly high caliber sales rep felt that in your realm of expertise, you answered some questions and it, for the most part, your answers gave the company good success. Sure. Other people thought your answer was eloquent and a very good answer. Thus, you will expect more sales-oriented questions and you will probably have an economic incentive to answer more of those relevant questions in your field. Would, would that be um, somewhat of an example of a, a typical scenario? Yeah, well, in the scenario you're describing, Vince would probably receive a higher reputation score, you know, for essentially doing a good job or executing well or, or demonstrating that he has a certain knowledge or subject matter credibility. Right. right? So he wouldn't necessarily have a direct economic benefit. Okay. Um, from doing a good job, at least as far as the governance system is concerned, right? right? Sure. I imagine that he would have an economic incentive of doing a good job because there's some agreement in place where Vince gets paid sure. you know, by yes. the organization. But as far as Vince's influence within the organization going forward, right, that's going to change as a result of his reputation score changing at that time. Uh, right. Okay. So the doors to, I guess... The new version of management become more open as you ingratiate yourself into the system and work hard to do a good job with it. Right. Yeah, I get it. That's interesting. Josh, I see that you guys did your main token sale there on May 8th. And you were going for either 30 million or a 30 day cap on that. How did it go? Well, our main sale sold out in 66 seconds. Uh, So in that sense, I guess you could say it went pretty well. Okay. Uh, What I will clarify there is that the May 8th sale, what we were calling the main sale, was the final of actually three stages of our token sale. Okay. So it's not the case that we sold $30 million worth of token in 66 seconds on the 8th. However, it was still a really, really strong result. And, and the previous stages of the sale had also shown that there was a lot of demand and, and interest in our project. That's, I think, the message that we got from the blockchain and the investment community is that, yeah, there's a very keen interest in what we're doing and the power that it might have to bring about a kind of collaborative economy in the future. Do you have an idea of what the typical token buyer would be? Are these um, consumer level investors or is it more in the VC side or institutional, perhaps? Do you have any information on that side of things? Yeah, great question. I mean, I can basically just tell you that that it was a mix. You know, that's as specific as I really know how to be. I imagine that we had a mix of, you know, so-called retail investors, you know, individuals who are interested in buying the token, possibly because they think that it might have a a higher value at some later time. Uh, However, the types of investors that I feel most excited about, and I think perhaps some of the team shares this perspective, are the, the ones who are interested in having our token as a means of having a piece of this collaborative economy. They just want to be part of the platform that you have because they want to support it. Yeah, I mean, I don't mean to paint them 
as charitable. Oh, no. I think that those folks would like to see the token be worth, you know, a lot more. Somebody sure. Now, what I'm making a distinction between are sort of the speculators on one hand and folks who are interested in maybe a longer term play. We certainly had during our private sale, which accounted for a significant part of our overall token sale. We had a number of wonderful strategic partners, individuals and institutions, as well as existing blockchain organizations who are taking a very long-term view uh, of partnership with us. For example, Gnosis, a wonderful existing blockchain organization, uh, was one of our early piloters, um, and they were also one of our early investors. Right. Well, you know, the DAO stat stands out from the consumer level cryptocurrency buyer or investor. The speculator is pretty much dead now with where it's at. I mean, the 2017 end and the drop, it's got rid of a lot of the speculation, but it's really got people to look very closely at, you know, these ICO white papers. And and DAO stack stands out, you know, you have a really high caliber team. The size of the, the bite from the apple you and your team is, is taking is significant and huge but it looks like you got the team to back it up so i want to thank you for coming on today if there's anything um, you'd like to say to our listeners anything you think they might want to know that you haven't covered please say so i think this is a great place to wrap it's been a pleasure talking to you guys and to your audience as well and uh, i've enjoyed this conversation we have too josh thank you very much for coming on have yourself a great night bye guys bye bye bitcoin roundtable Random musings and interviews about Bitcoin.